we're live and first of all just larry i want to thank you for doing this i got uh larry horn who is the executive director of amplify louisville and uh appreciate you taking some time to do this no man landon thanks for having me on i appreciate it yeah um so a lot of times like especially with people that i know and actually i'm getting ready to do an episode in a week or two with a guy that i actually probably the first time i've done one with a person that i don't know i don't have any history with uh actually have you heard have you heard of uh shake it lou shake it louisville i think is I haven't, but it sounds fun. It's on Brownsboro Road. It's a guy named Larod King, and he's he's doing like these shakes that are like you know gluten free and all protein, and you know it's it's kind of a cool yeah. concept. I think he has three locations, but anyway, so I'm going to be bringing him on here. Three in a locations, weeks. really? Yeah, he's got one in Lexington. I think it's Lexington, Danville, and here. Okay. Um, oh, awesome. So I yeah. So yeah, if you cool. eh, plug for him, I suppose. Well, yeah, check it out. Is- Good news is you don't meet strangers, Landon, so I don't think it's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, that's a compl- that's a high compliment coming from you because I think you're the same way. But uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I do my best. I do my best. Well, so I talk a little bit about I, you and I, I think, actually met maybe I think I had visited um, Venture Connectors or something and maybe we met in passing yeah. then. But and so I was definitely aware of you. You've been, I think, a fixture of the entrepreneurial community here for a long time. I mean, I've only been here. Well, that's not only I've been here going on about eight years now. And, uh, yeah. And then, but I think when we really got to know each other more was, uh, kind of when you got involved with Todd and Dave and, and, and Roth river, yep. we ended up playing golf together and spent some time there. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. That's right. I think, gosh, what was that? 2018 now. Yeah. And we, uh, you and I didn't know each other and we got put in the same cart. And as you said, like neither of us were uh, a stranger of words or conversation. Yeah. So I think we had a great conversation for 18 holes, um, about business, about life, about family, about all the things. So yep. it was great to get to connect that way. And man, I can't believe that's two and a half years ago. now. I know, man, time man. flies. Um, so, sure. yeah, so we had a great day and, 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 you know, and I think, you know, for me, like what I like about you, I think is just that I think you're very down to earth. I think you've got a lot of experience. Like I was, you know, looking through, you know, just the things that you've done. And I know we talked that day. I remember, um, one of the things we talked about that day was your role with great Northern. Yeah. We met there. We've gotten to know each other a little bit in the last couple of years. And the thing I want to clarify for like, you're originally from Louisville, right? You're born and raised here. Just south of Louisville in uh, Bullock County. Gotcha. So I um, grew up just 20 minutes south and went to school at UofL yep. and moved to Louisville. Been here pretty much ever since. Took a little, had a little stint in Chicago, but have lived in Louisville for however long that math works out to be. Yeah, no, it's good. And so here's what I want to do. I want to just, I'll, I want to go through just sure. some of the things you've done and then want to get to what we really, the reason for the podcast, the reason I'm doing it is, you know, we say we're out there. We are out to build a great brand. We try to help companies build great brands and we're just exploring kind of how you go about building great brands. Right. So I just kind of want to talk about that. And um, sure. one of the things I know that I remember now seeing this, you there was a little bit of a tie-in. You did the Derby City Cut and Sew. So that's where you kind of yep. dipped your toes a little bit into something at least closely related to our industry. Tell me about that a little bit. <laughs> that's right. So yeah, Derby City Cut and Sew was originally a side hustle for me. I was at Great Northern, president of a, this Great Northern is a manufacturing company that made building materials. And we had, and we could talk about some branding for that, taking some really tradition rich old products and trying to rebrand it either both by logos and colors, but also packaging and innovating in different ways. But Derby City was um, an opportunity for me to kind of give back to the community at first. One of our mutual good friends, Allie Trutman from Wicked Cheats, let me know that there were several soft good companies that are located in Louisville 
And none of them have their, the majority of them do not have manufacturing capabilities in the city. So they're going to North Carolina, they're going to Cincinnati, they're going outside of our region to find really good, capable sewing uh, for their products. And a lot of this, which seems crazy, right? I mean, for a small business, you know, adding in the logistics piece of it. So Derby City was an opportunity to create a custom cut and sew business that supported these soft good companies in the Louisville area. On top of that, I had a passion for supporting the refugee community. And so I started Derby City Cut and Sew as one of the city's first public benefit corporations back in July of 18, I think this was. uh, I think that feels right. 17 or 18. Um, And what we wanted to do was that make a part of our business model being giving back to refugees in the sense of how can we help educate them on financial literacy, you know, ESL classes, but also teach them commercial sewing skills that were transferable to a variety of different jobs, not only for us, but for different places in the community. So started with that. And then really from a branding standpoint, you know, our original customers were a lot of other people's products. So my business partner for this company was Amanda Dare, who owns the New Black, which if you're listening to this and uh, you like women's fashion, please go check her out uh, or check out her company. Yeah. Um, But, you know, a lot of people coming in with this idea, a jogger, a sweatshirt, a clothing brand, a product of some of some type that they couldn't get mass produced. And they wanted to just kind of an MVP of a physical soft good product, if you think about it that way. Um, And so they would come to us and we would make that uh, and present that to them. So that was kind of the the impetus of Derby City Cut. And so the truth be told. Um, I created it as a public benefit corporation, which operates like an LLC, a for-profit business. And the struggle with that was, and this was early in the days, you know, we can talk about Canopy and the work we do there, but is um, I couldn't get grants and I couldn't get donations because I wasn't a nonprofit. And when I went to pitch people to invest, um, the return was going to take so long because we were going to use a good portion of our profits to give back to this community that it just, I never got the right traction for this organization. So as a side hustle, it became too much of a full-time job. Yeah. Um, and so we, we closed it up um, probably about 18 months after we started it. But that's something I'm still passionate about starting again someday. I love the logo. The branding was great. Um, yeah. And, you know, going back, I don't think, I don't know if you were on Clubhouse. You, you didn't get a chance to make it to Clubhouse yesterday where we talked a lot about marketing and branding and outsourcing and trying to find these things. So as a non-marketing founder, you know, a lot of this is I have to go find the experts to help us do this. And I found the logo for Derby City, which I love also, was some was just a freelance person that I found on... Um, like Fiverr or something like that? Like Fiverr or Upwork yeah. or something like that. Made that logo and everything for like 75 bucks. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing and, how the the design stuff has been so democratized these days. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we really went so from a branding and logo standpoint, you know, we really obviously we call it Derby City Cut and Sew. So we really wanted to present this as Louisville based, but also being straight to the point that we were a custom cut and sew business. And if you look at the logo, you know, we have the scissors, we have the thread. Um, and I think that really resonated with customers. They got the sense of who we were because a lot of the other options for those customers were large soft good manufacturers who had excess capacity that would then like, okay, once I'm done making my product, I'll fit yours in. 
And we were more their back of house service. And so they got that little bit more um, detailed touch and attention. And I think we really, from a branding and the way we communicated that to the the market, you know, I think that really resonated with them. So basically, it sounds like in that particular instance, with it being a side hustle, you had, I mean, the aesthetics were great, but you really never got into really fully building the brand because the, the company never was able to really hit the momentum you right. know, from a funding standpoint. And, and that actually makes me think it's kind of interesting as I, and I actually talked to Todd Pritz about this before when he was at Make Time yeah. in Lexington. I said, you know, I've always been, I mean, you said it a second ago, you said a non-marketing founder, and that's, that's the way, you know, non-technical, non-marketing founder is the way I would probably, you know, describe right. myself as well. I'm kind of, I've said to Todd many times and others, I said, you know, I'm, I, I'd like, I know good design when I see it, but I can't do it, you know? So it's, Amen. and yep. so, and the, the other observation I would make is like, you know, you've really, I think you've spent a lot of time in that, what I would call the funded entrepreneurial side of things. Whereas like my roots are very much in like, I'm a grinder and that's kind of like right. the background that I come from. It was like, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm originally from Springfield, Ohio, and I'm, I'm, I've come from a, a family of a lot of entrepreneurs, but none of them that I can think of, except maybe my grandfather in the long-term care space, ever raised money. Um, right. It was always just bootstrap and, just, you know, and I remember talking to him about it and I said, you know, in hindsight, that's definitely a skill set that would have been nice to have, you know, and, and granted, you don't necessarily deploy it in every circumstance. Like I'm rolling back right. and I'm looking at like your time at Liberate. Now, did you raise did you it's, it, I, that feels to me like you probably were part of a group and you raised money for that company also, right? Mm-hmm, correct. Yeah. And the company before that, TNG, is where we raised five million dollars for that business. Yeah. Liberate, we probably raised while my time was there, we raised a little bit less than a million where he's gone on and continued to raise quite a bit more. But um, it's interesting. And for this, and I don't know if this is where you're headed, if you think about these venture backed companies that our pre-revenue, the marketing component of those companies, your customer at that point are, are the investors yep. and are the stakeholders. So I don't know if that's where you're going, a little but bit. You know, this yeah, is absolutely I, a part of it. I remember talking to him about uh, Drura, I think was the name of the CEO at Make Time. And, and he was telling right. me, you know, and, and so then at that time, this was really before I started my company in 2015. And Todd was at mm-hmm. that exact same time he was transitioning out of Indatus and, yeah. You know, and, and then he went and, and I was like, I was like, man, that, that's exactly right. And 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 if you are re- like doing business and generating some revenue, even if it's not, you know, enough to cover expenses. I mean, I remember Drew was a lot of it was investor relations, even then, even when they were, yeah. you know, fully running and trying to do business after they had yeah. a version of their product out. And um, so mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, all this kind of like dovetails together and what you're and even the work you're doing with amplify now which is you know Mm -hmm. i kind of see myself it's funny i know a lot of people that are in the sort of entrepreneurial community here like i went through um launch it you know got to know daniel johnson a lot of a lot of those guys in there but i've i still right or wrong i still kind of see myself as an outsider a little bit on that community you know Mm because i've and and so like i you mentioned why why do you yeah um you should talk about that. Why do you feel like an outsider? Because that's obviously we talk about Amplify at some point in this conversation. Yeah. You know, part of this is how do we build an inclusive culture for our ecosystem to get really to that, you know, vibrant innovation center that we want? Yeah, no, that's that's a fair question. And I think probably the way that I would describe it like a little bit. And, and I know we both share a love of bourbon. So I'll use like bourbon groups as a little bit. And, and I don't I, this may come off the wrong way. So just just hang with me here. It may be a loose time. I'm with but you, like, buddy. So like. A lot of the bourbon groups out there, right? Like um, 
Louisville Bourbon Club and other ones. Matter of fact, Louisville Bourbon Club is a customer of mine too. We do a lot of their stuff. But um, awesome. it's funny when you get into these close-knit groups, um, there's a feeling of like, I, I think that no matter how hard human beings try, we tend to gravitate towards the known. And when outsiders come in and they don't necessarily know the lingo or they don't know certain unspoken, you know, rules or, or things like, you know, whatever. I think a lot of right. it comes down to lingo and just kind of like these unspoken rules. And it can be tough because you're on the outside and you can clearly tell in any group like that, whether it's Amplify, whether it's the entrepreneurial group here that tends to have a lot of similar people that get together often. And and then mm-hmm. you in and it can be tough to it can be tough to break in because you're you just yeah. maybe don't know those unspoken things. You don't know the right lingo. And uh, and then again, the other thing for me, and, and I think this would be more specifically for my involvement in like venture connectors and just the entrepreneurial community here is I was mm-hmm. not a venture. I was not a funded company. And and even beyond that, mm-hmm. like I remember when I did launch it, um, when I would pitch what I was doing, I had to really focus on the online store thing because, you know, when I said that I was doing branded clothing and promotional items, man, you know, it, it just was like, ugh. You know, there was just kind of like this, oh, and, um, you know, right. so you had to kind of like techify a little bit, you know, what you were doing mm-hmm. to make it interesting. Although I remember there were some guys in there that were running gun shops from rural parts of the, of the state too. Uh, I don't know. That's right. maybe I'm rambling a little bit, but does that help? I mean, it's just like, uh, now like I, yeah, I, no. I have a good relationship with you and, and, and individuals, but like when I come into those group settings, sometimes I just feel like it just feels over my head a little bit because I'm not, you know, I've never mm-hmm. really operated in a company that raised money. Right. You're not alone. Right. So first, we'll just put that out there. I mean, that what you're saying is a very common, I'm going to say comment, not complaint, you know, but a very common comment that we get in the ecosystem um, and something we're trying to battle. I say for me, when I got into the entrepreneurial ecosystem, you know, I was I was very fortunate. You know, I launched my first business out of the U of L's MBA entrepreneurship program with some success. And immediately doors were open that aren't open to traditional founders when they're first starting, especially when you're not in the ecosystem. So I was really kind of handheld into the entrepreneurial ecosystem early on. You know, fast forward. And as we talked about, like, we don't meet strangers. So I just met everyone and I could and got to know them. But you fast forward to when I first took over the role to run this entrepreneurial support organization. And I started to talk to people that I didn't know that were in the community, but out of my network. This was something I started to hear more often of and was surprised me because when you're in the bubble, you don't sometimes you don't realize you're in the bubble. Right. You don't recognize that this is hard for other people to get in because of the things that you just mentioned. And so, you know, part of the things is, you know, I feel like I've always tried to be kind of an ambassador for the startup community is people like me need to do a better job when you come to Venture Connectors or you come to a networking event. That we kind of proverbially wrap our arms around you because, you know, we're not allowed to touch each other right now, <laughs> right. but is to bring you in and like introduce you to people, chaperone you around. At Venture Connectors, we talk about this as board members. How do we find the guests that are coming and kind of like shepherd them around, be their Sherpa for the Venture Connectors meeting? Now, of course, a lot of this got halted. You know, We haven't had in-person meetings since last February. And that's also a big issue happening right now over the last year is that you and I can't walk into an event and I can't go and introduce you to folks. 
Now I can do it virtually, but I have to actually be top of mind. Who should I be connecting Landon with? He doesn't know. When we're at an event, I'm like, hey, do you know Jim or Jane? And you're like, no. I'm like, great. Let's go over there and meet them. So first I would say, again, you're not alone. We've got to battle this somehow. We've got to be more inclusive because I think Louisville as a community is very insular and very cliquish depending on what group that you're in now, which is amazing to me as small of a, as a community as we are. Um, and so I think that knocking down those silos of activity, opening and being more inclusive, some of the work we do at Amplify also is how do you remove, how do you, let me say this, limit the amount of human interaction that you need to get connected to other folks. Historically, you'd have to come through someone like me to get introduced to someone else we're trying to make leveraging technology. We're trying to make that like, if you want to go meet with Todd, let's say you didn't know Todd Pritz. Yep. We all love him. You want to meet with him and there would be, we're trying to find ways where you can get connected to Todd, understanding his background without having to come and get on my calendar. Um, Cause I think that, that leads into that exclusive nature. You actually first have to know me and know how to get to me before then you can get to Todd. Well, let's, let's, yeah. Let's knock that let's knock that barrier down. Yeah, not I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, what I say a lot too is like, you know, I think that there's a couple risks that the startup entrepreneurial community struggle with too that I see just at a high level. And that is, you know, one is I think it there's a risk of getting a lot of people involved that talk business but don't do much business. Mm-hmm. And, you sure. know, and I think that that's that's important because, you know, again, it's like we live in a world of just tons and tons of business lingo, you know, words like yeah. verticals and, you know, <laughs> the founder terminology and cap tables yeah, yeah. and all this kind of stuff that I think, you know, it's interesting. My, you know, my brother-in-law started a company here in 1989 and had sold it for, I, I think he's got, he's approaching $800 million in total, you know, exits again, if we want to use, you know, the, the, again, more, more terminology. And, and what's funny Mm -hmm. is like, I asked him about different things that I was involved in, in town. And it's like, now I'm not familiar now, you know, he was, it's 89. So it's, you know, probably pre some of this stuff, but um, it was just an interesting little commentary on like, you know, here's a guy who just got out there and started a company and, you know, he sort of was outside of the ecosystem entirely. Um, Right. And, you know, so, so there's that. And, and I think that, the other thing that's interesting is just like um, kind of like what you're talking about, like the importance of the connections. Like when you come in and you're looking around the room and, and, and you're like, man, I, heck, I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, Todd and I used to talk a lot about imposter syndrome, you know, that whole mm-hmm. thing that sure. entrepreneurs really or entrepreneurs really struggle with. You know, you walk in a room and you look around and you, right. you automatically have this perception that there are a lot of people just making it happen and you're not, you know, and that's, <laughs> right. now that's, I mean, there's not necessarily a remedy for that. Like that's a me thing. Right. But um, sure. But it's also real. Well, there's there's ways that we can actually help that. So uh, it, not to let you get too far down the line, because I want to also comment yep. on your brother's thing. So interesting. So since I've been in Amplify, I've had a chance to talk to a lot of people that with a very similar story who have run even tech businesses, but not always, who've had really great exits or really great successes, but no one knows. You know, I'm a big fan of celebrating. I'm a big cheerleader at the end of the day. And so one of the things that I want to be able to do, going back to being more inclusive, is because we're not able as a community to tell that story outside of Louisville. I mean, forget the fact that we don't even know it inside of Louisville, but other communities around us don't see all these amazing things happening because we we can't storytell around the entire narrative because we just don't know that yep. it exists. How do we fix that? I think that is being more social capital, I talk about this quite a bit, being more um, transparent, creating more trust, 
so people feel comfortable coming in. Now, a lot of these folks, they're just, they don't go to networking events, right? And they just don't get, they don't need the help of resource groups like mine, but we still have to figure out a way to acknowledge that they're out there and that, um, and that they're doing great things to celebrating them a variety of different ways. The other part, going back to the imposter syndrome piece, dude, that is straight on. One of the problems is too, there's been a lot of time for like, you know, us founders will get together and we're like, man, did you hear about Larry? His company's not doing well. And everybody's like, really? I just saw him last week at Venture Connectors and it looked like he was doing great. We have this failure problem too, right? Which is we don't we don't embrace failure as founders in our city, even though in other places they do. And I think a lot of people are really afraid to admit that they're struggling, to admit that they need help because they don't want, you know, for whatever reason, failure here isn't accepted. I think that leads to it a lot. I'd love, what do you think about that? I totally agree. And I, th- I think that, you know, look, man, in our personal life, one of my best friends out there is a mortgage guy. And I, I actually meet with him. I met him with him today. I meet with him on Friday mornings just every week. And we just kind of, you know, just accountability partner kind of a thing. And, and we're just talking. Yeah, and, you right. know, he says all the time, he's like, look, man, he's like, if anybody knows that people are not what they seem, it's me because I see these people and I know what their income is, but I know what their debt load is. And I mm-hmm. think that thing trans, it goes into business too. I mean, just as much as we yeah. all want to present a particular package on, on the personal side uh, that we, you know, I used to have this pastor say, you know, you was out there always trying to make it look like you were way okay, you know, and I think you do that in business <laughs> right. too. You know, I mean, you know, it's like, you don't want, you don't want people to know that you're struggling. So I totally agree with that. And, uh, yeah, man. yeah. I mean, I say all the time that I think, you know, for me, this might get a little like kind of weird, maybe, maybe not, but like talking relationally, <laughs> like I, you know, I, I find the relationships that I have both personally and in business that are most fulfilling are the ones that where I am you know, completely transparent. And, and the other part is, I mean, mm-hmm. I always say for me, a relationship is like an electric circuit, like the best ones are mm-hmm. where I'm getting into you kind of what's in me and you're getting into me what's in you and that we benefit. Yep. And the moment that that circuit's broken to where maybe I'm downloading to you, but I don't listen to anything you have to say or vice versa, it becomes mm-hmm. a challenge and it, it just yeah. starts, it stops being alive really. And the th- same thing is true yeah. in business. And I think that's what's so you know, I think the, the the entrepreneurial, not just in Louisville, I think in general can get caught up. Like, for example, I wrote down and I was just taking notes to make sure I, I mentioned some of this stuff. Like, I th- and I'll probably mess this up, but I'm pretty sure there's an, uh, a story of like Gary Vaynerchuk on like a panel. And I, I, I think that he was like listening and you had these people standing up and it'd be like, you know, hey, I'm, you know, John Smith from such and such. And we've raised three million dollars yeah. and everybody claps. And then the next guy stands up. He's like, hey, I'm, you know. I'm Larry and I'm, you know, with whatever company and I've raised $5 million and everybody claps. And, you know, the third guy stands up and he's like, Hey, I'm Tommy. And yeah, we haven't raised any money, but we have like, you know, hundred paying customers. And it was like crickets. <laughs> and I think, you know, Gary right. V went off. Cause he's like, have we really gotten to the point where we're, you know, louding or, or celebrating raised money, but we're, we're just ignoring the guy who actually has customers, you know? And, and so right. that's an interesting dynamic too. And, yeah. So, you know, and I, and the other thing I was going to say is like, I remember bringing it and not to continue to talk about Todd, but I learned a lot from his experience at make time yeah. with him telling me, and that was, you know, that what you can get into, I think too, is to where your entire job becomes raising money. Like, and there mm-hmm. are people out there, I think that have started company after company after company, and they've really never had customers or much revenue or been organically, you know, sustainable Right. And they just they just are experts at like they're just dynamic people and they have just be made they basically made a career out of starting companies and raising money. Right. 
Well, man, you you said a whole bunch of stuff that that triggers for me. So first, you know, to go back to the electric circuit, I love that analogy. I've talked about it in a lot of different groups that I've been a part of or panels on is that, you know, I when I first had TNG and I was struggling as a founder, as a husband, as a dad, like that's really hard to talk about in the open. So there was probably a group of nine of us all in very similar stages in life where we just kind of came together and we still get together once a month. And that's our group and that's our circle. And that's our opportunity to kind of not only download or, or energy exchange or electric exchange of what's happening in our business. Cause we've all either raised money or started have customers or, or some part of that, but we all have young kids. We all have marriages. Some of us are on our second marriages since we've been together. And so I think that that is, you know, that is an important thing that I encourage everyone is find your tribe, right? Absolutely. Find your group where you can unload because it helps you be a better founder, husband, dad, when you can get some of that emotional piece off your chest, which as, and I'm saying this mostly for male founders, because that's what I know, we're not very good at innately anyway. So love that. I couldn't agree more. Um, fast forward to the Gary V piece. Man, we have been, t- I've been talking about that forever. So, hand raise, other than Derby City Cut. And so, my other three companies have never sold one thing. They've been all pre revenue and they've all been venture backed. And venture is hard. Like, look at COVID. And like a year ago today, angels stopped investing when their portfolios took a giant hit when the market dumped, right? And so, all of a sudden, I had founders going, I was in the middle of a round and I had to stop. So, We've been saying this, and this has been going on even back in the enterprise core day. Give Lisa Bajornis a shout out for that. Is we should say revenue is the best form of income for a startup. I have slides that say that every time we talk about growth, we talk about uh, pilot trials and traction as much as we talk about equity investment. Now, to scale and do those things, you know, I mean, you you you've probably experienced some of this. Like you could have organically started your business and grown over time, but I'm sure an injection of cash helped you get there faster. You know, so we got to think of equity investment and dollars in the business is just additional gas, not the only source. Because especially for a lot of tech-enabled businesses or service businesses, going back to kind of your comment earlier, you know, you're going to get to revenue a whole lot quicker. We should be celebrating first customers. That's something at Amplify, we're working with GLI on is what's a first customer initiative look like? Yes, you need to raise money. We get it. But you need customers and you need traction. That's actually going to help you raise money. So I, I hate to hear that story that no one cheered, but I'm also not surprised at all. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I love it's, it's funny. The answer is always um, it's always a blend of of two things. It's never black or white, it's always gray or it's always never all art, never all science. It's always art and science. And, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, so it's like, you know, because on the other side, I will say, um, I remember when I first got here, um, I did a a joint uh, chamber trip down to Charlotte with Louisville and Lexington chamber. Mm -hmm. And I sat next to um, Jeff McKenzie, who was with, at the Mm -hmm. time it was Bingham Greenbaum. Greenbaum. Yeah. And I I think they, maybe they've got bought or, or something, but I re- yeah, they're they're Dentons now. Yeah, and like I'm sitting on the plane flying down with Jeff, and we're just talking. And he knew my brother in law, and I remember. So we <laughs> kind of started talking about that, and he said, "Yeah, man, he was a rocket ship." And 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 he said, and, and I started, and and they had, I think, taken Papa John's. They had worked with John Schneider with Papa John's, and he said the same mm-hmm. thing. Like he was a rocket ship, and I said, "You know, 
I said, right. that's interesting because I said, here's a guy. I mean, I said, the world we live in, Jeff, if you don't have a tech-based idea, people, you know, especially people with a lot of money, I mean, they need to see something that can grow really big to make it worth their time. And I said, here's a guy who went out and said, I'm going to start a pizza franchise. And I'm like, I'm going to tell you right now, take one, take any guy to walk into Venture Connectors or launch it and say, my idea is I'm going to start a pizza franchise. And people would be like, right. uh, been done. And, but, you know, <laughs> and, but I remember one time somebody said to me, I said, you know, people don't invest in companies. They invest in people. And mm-hmm. the thing about Papa John's and John Schneider, certainly a polarizing guy, feel however you want to feel about him, but you can't deny he was the guy and somehow he built that company, right. you know, it made that happen. And so that's, that's an interesting thing. And, and I feel so, so to tie it in a little bit, it's like my company. I mean, I started it in 2015. We've, I built it. We grew about 20, 30% a year, every year until last year, obviously. And we sort of, but kind of miraculously, it was a, really a huge blessing. We got back to 19 numbers in 20. I don't know how, um, you know, awesome. March, April, I was working on my resume. Um, you know, <laughs> just, sure. didn't, just didn't know, you know. Uh, but, you know, now we're looking to the future. And it's like, I know that a feeling that I have a lot is, and I'll just say it the best I can, is, man, I, I have a vision. I know that this thing has potential because we, we've, we've gotten, I think, some confirmation from a lot of the things we're doing with customers that we're doing it the right way. This thing could clear. I mean, this is a $10 million business. There's no doubt in my mind. It just needs, I need to get the base built up a little bit more here. And then ultimately we need to open some other locations. And while on the surface, it's a boring pizza-esque business, it's still, the one thing I do know about investors is while they like big ideas and things that can scale, what they like more than anything is making a return on their money. And so they're looking for people that they think and businesses that, so in other words, I've always said you can have the boringest business in the world, but you, you sit in front of a guy or a gal that's got a bunch of money and you can show them financials that show that you're really growing and there's an opportunity for them to make a return. They all of a sudden don't worry so much about, you know, how boring the Mm -hmm. company is, but you know, Mm -hmm. all, all that to say for a guy like me, it's like this weird, um, you know, I, I said to someone the other day, I was like, you know, when you start a company, especially if you bootstrap it, you're kind of scrambling and grinding just to make an existence, to make a living. I mean, you know that from things right. you've done. And yep. and then one day you wake up and you're like, okay, I've I've been successful enough that I'm existing. And then you kind of unknowingly go into the to no man's land. And no man's land is I'm successful enough that I'm making enough money that nobody else would pay. I couldn't get a job making what I'm making here. But I don't know how. <laughs> right. But I don't know how to get bigger. I don't know how to get right. to the next level. And that would be right. an apt description of where I would say this company's at. I mean, we've got a great brand, thanks to Todd. Um, we've done a great job. We've we've I think we've changed some focus internally, but um, in terms of like how you know we were we were really headed towards a mile wide and an inch deep, and we've really re you know, right. change to be a mile deep and an inch wide. If I said that right, I hope I did. Um, <laughs> and just really digging deep with our clients and trying to really delight our clients. Yeah. And then that's now starting to result in a lot of referrals, which is ideal for a customer, a company like yeah. ours. But that's kind of yeah. where I'm at. And so it's funny, like, I guess now we just jump right into your work with Amplify. It's like, okay, if we use me as a, as a guinea pig or a test case, it's like, where am I? I'm a guy that's got a, you know, you know, a seven figure low, seven figure business that's, six years old in May 
And, you know, it's like most people would look at that. I remember I met with uh, Kent Euler early on and I was like, you know, kind of trying my best to talk the talk. And I was like, you know, we're going to get proof of concept and, you know, in a year and things like that. Yeah. And he's like a year should take six months, you know, or whatever. And, and, uh, right. you know, so bottom line is it's like, took me, it's taken me six years, but here I sit and it's like, how do I get to the next level? And I think I jumped in on a call on one of those, um, you mentioned it a second ago, the clubhouse clubhouse, uh, you know, and I, there was a mm-hmm. hiring one about two weeks ago. It was kind of asking some of those questions, but anyway, yeah. that would be a characterization of me. And it would be like, so how do I yeah. plug in to the community to get the support I need to try to make the strategic decisions that I need to make to get to the right. next level. So, yeah, no, man. Well, a congratulations, right? So going back to what I was saying before, like low seven figures, six years, not having to raise a ton of money, employing people like that's the stuff we, we should celebrate. I think we try to, we just have to know. Sure. Um, and also plug for you. I have bought product from you in two companies now you guys always deliver and you're always fantastic to us and are very flexible. So really appreciate that. Kind of going back to one, I'll push back on you a little bit on the um, investment piece. So I think that, you know, a lot of things in our community are set up for tech companies like Amplify. We focus on tech enabled businesses. So you're right. Like if you would come to me and we didn't have a personal relationship, I'd be like, Landon, let me introduce you to Louisville Forward. who really helps small businesses more in your, your space. But I would say that of my friends, like I have a buddy that mine that has a very successful restaurant business, another buddy that has something in the medical field. Neither of them raised capital from traditional angel investors, but there is money in Louisville from those folks that have done something similar. So what we try to do, and I've tried to do is like, all right, Landon, you, you have this kind of service business in the product space. Who else in our community has made money doing something similar that's going to understand the business model and understand the potential return and connect you to them? Now, that makes sense. there's not, I don't think there is a great version of that. I think that happens from a custom standpoint based on who you meet, which is why and I don't know if we'll get to talk about this. I know you and I are such talkers. I don't know if we'll make it only 40 minutes, but is mentorship and connecting people to both near peers and kind of those seasoned veterans to be able to help make those connections. Like, oh, Lane and I know Jen and Jen can help you do these things. You're not going to get that from venture connectors. And you're not going to get that from potentially Amplify, but you can get that from mentors and other folks in the community. Right. That goes back to that inclusivity piece and connectivity piece of helping people get brought into the but make the bubble bigger bring more people in so we can all smash them in and it's like collisions of awesomeness right so i would say that while you are right there are not enough rooms for people that run businesses like yours to find investment easy they are out there they just require unfortunately more work on founders like your part yeah um, let me or that. hold your thought i just want to jump in there i want to make sure i clarify i'm not yeah. and i don't i yeah. hope that does not come off as a complaint at all because i want to be clear if no. i were an investor I would think very mm-hmm. similarly if I encountered a business like mine. So it is, yeah. you know, yeah. So I want to make sure that that's clear. The things that you are bringing up are very, I hear often. Now, I don't know if we hear them enough in one room where they're, they're resonating with other people, but my role is I get to chat with people like you often that say the same kind of pieces. And no, I, I know you weren't complaining. I think it is a problem. And as a community, we have to treat service businesses and different types of product businesses, non-tech businesses, the same way we treat all the tech companies. 
And I think the investors, the average angel investor, and you know, I hope if you're listening to this, average angel investor, don't get upset. I just don't think they're very educated on the different types of businesses. And they understand tech enough because of it's in the news everywhere. And sometimes they don't even do that. Trust me, if someone has taken their money and then had to explain to them how, why we're spending it the way we are, they don't get it. So I think if they're not in an industry or background like that service business or product business is, I think it's just really hard for them to part with their dollars. So they're just more keen on tech. And I think businesses. they tend to your point, I think they tend to latch on to what they see as scalable. I mean, it's yep. just that becomes it's like, do I think this can get really big? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I got one of one of the investors in one of my companies, very, very successful gentleman. He he and I were having drinks one time and he said, you know, Larry, I like investing in the world's most boring dry drywall paper paste. He's like these things that most people aren't jumping into, but there's a ton of upside. There's a ton of money to be made. He's like, I spend my time there versus jumping on the bandwagon of the next tech company that may scale, but most likely won't. Well, to your and point, was, my brother-in-law, who I mentioned has a lot, you know, he's got a lot of resources. He does not yeah. invest. And I remember I had some conversations with him just because he does not invest in very speculative things. I mean, for a guy who's made mm -hmm. a lot of money, he's very, very conservative, almost to mm -hmm. the point where I've really like been, it's been educational for me because I'm like, man, I just thought, yeah, you know, I, I gave you a story. Like, I mean, he was an investor in a in a, a company that owned about nine boutique hotels up in Kennebunkport area in Maine, and they were awesome. they were going to buy a, a snow. You know, they got, they get a lot of snow up there. They were going to buy a truck mm -hmm. to push snow, and so they were in a meeting, and the guy comes in, and he's like, "Yeah, and this truck's going to be I don't know sixty sixty five thousand dollars a truck, a diesel truck to push snow," and Mike pushed back and was like how many times a year we use this truck and, you know, just ask all these questions. It was like, couldn't we buy a used, how many miles does a diesel engine get on it? And things like this. And he's like, couldn't we get a used one for half that? And I remember I was like, hold up, man. I was like, I don't, I don't want to come off the wrong way, but like, <laughs> we both know that you've got uh, plenty of money. Like, why are you worried right. about 30 grand on this thing? Like what? And he's like, he said this to me, this was gold. He says, Landon, don't, he's, I'm going to say something to you. And he's like, don't ever forget this. He says, I don't mind spending money. I hate wasting money. Yeah. And I was great. like, ah, okay. Now I kind of understand it a little bit more. And and I, I've seen investments he's made, and he's a guy who does not do the speculative. I mean, he does right. – he invests in real estate. He invests in things that have intrinsic value is kind of the way he goes about it. He's, he's pretty yeah. risk-averse as a guy with a lot of money. Now, that's just yeah. his personality. Like you said, there's guys out there who just love – finding you know the risky stuff and they enjoy it mm -hmm. it's almost like entertainment for them a little bit and then it's gamble it's gambling in some level yeah right? without a doubt yeah and uh I, a matter of fact i think you guys may have been involved with a guy if i recall with roth river that was kind of like that you know he was invested in a lot of pretty speculative type <laughs> things but um so yeah but uh so tell me we got a little bit of time maybe five ten minutes left sure man so i love this conversation because i think for me, it's like it gives me and I, and I think that the tie in or I guess the lesson in it is like probably just the lesson of like there's entrepreneurs and they're all over the spectrum in terms of where they're at, mm -hmm. both mentally and in their business. But sure. what they what they need is help a lot of times getting from where they are to where they want to get to. And and I think I've been surprised at like maybe how risk averse I am. Like I find mm -hmm. my, you know, I thought going into it, I was, you know, I like taking risk. But what I have found about myself is like. I am very risk averse and I take even saying I take calculated risks might be a little generous. Like it's like <laughs> it's almost damn near a sure thing, you know, before yeah. I do it. And that can be tough to navigate because in order yeah. to grow at some point, 
you're going to have to take risks. And so I remember I had a conversation with a guy a few months ago and he's like, he's like, man, I like you Landon. He's like, I'm getting ready. And he ended up not selling his company. So I'm be selling my company soon. I'm going to have some resources and I'd like to talk about, you know, can I help you? And and, and he said, and I said, you know what? I really appreciate that. I mean, that's, that's such a nice thing to say. I said, but honestly, I've done a pretty good job of like the company's done well. We've got good cash organically. We've got lines of credit and I have some other funding sources behind that. Money is not the problem necessarily. It's what to do with Mm -hmm. the money. Right. You know, because if I just throw money at, at things and, you know, to, you know, okay, I got a bunch of money. I'm going to go start hiring people. It's more like the problem I struggle with a lot of times is like how to spend the money, to, right. you know, in the best way. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Cause I mean, it's, you know, sometimes it's not just like, do I have money? It's like, Hey, I have money, but like, how do I spend it? <sighs> yeah, no. And nobody has a crystal ball, right? right. You kind of into your point and, you know, there are very few sure things. I think when you think about, where you are from like this place where, and also to go back, sometimes people are very content and happy just with the business. The way it is like your business you have now for someone else, they might be like, this is life. This is gold. Yeah. And some people want to scale. And I think when you have that, when you're in that moment of needing to pivot or do something different, I think that, um, my, my advice to everyone is, is like, go talk to everyone that's been in a very similar situation and find how do you avoid the big misses? Yep. Right. Like who are the people? And it might not be the exact type of company. And then I think this is where you, this is the gamble piece. Cause you say the risk aversion is a spectrum, right? Yep. You're going to have where you are, you're much more risk averse than say the person that works at said stable gig forever. Um, but maybe not also like our buddy Dave and Todd who might be like swinging for the fences right. every other day. Yeah. Um, and so I'd say uh, going back to that. So what to do with that money is, you're going to have to take some risks. I mean, it's ROI, right? Um, it's risk versus reward. And it's, but when you say calculated risk, that's actually a really great thing. I mean, there's a lot of data that shows that later, you know, older individuals that are patient and have more business experience actually create more successful startup early stage companies than the 22 year old at a college that can code. And I think that's because they're willing to take calculated risk based on experience and based on network. Yeah. And so I would encourage you in this spot, and I'm sure you do this, is, you know, make sure you ha- you're surrounding yourself with your proverbial kitchen cabinet of mentors and advisors, you know, um, and ask them what you should do and look for the trends and the advice and then gamble, gamble small, gamble yep. big. That's up to you. But I think, you know, those are my thoughts on it. That's the advice I give a lot yeah. of folks is like, guess what? You can continue to sit on your money and incrementally grow. And that's what you want. Great. But if you stay in the house and never go outside, you're not going to experience, you're not going to grow the way, the way that you might intend or the way that you, the way that you might want. I think that's, no, I think that's solid. I mean, you know, what's funny about the it, life is like this where, you know, look, we know what to do. We know how to lose weight. We know how to have, be yeah. healthy. We just don't do it. We know how to do a mm-hmm. lot of things. We just don't do it. And I think in business, sometimes you can get the blinders on and you're just dealing with the day to day, but you can, without even realizing it, you can get out of spending time with mentors or the people that mm-hmm. you're talking about, the people that you can bounce things off of. I was involved in, um, oh, I'm getting a mixed up with venture connectors in my mind, but it's one of the entrepreneurial groups, kind of like YPO or something like that. Vistage. I was involved with Vistage for, yeah. I don't know, mm-hmm. about nine months. And, yeah. I, and I exited kind of when everything went hap- happened with COVID because I was just battening down the hatches, so to speak. Right. And, yes. um, 
but you know, that was part, part of it. Uh, you know, and I, I have lunch with a guy that I met through there every, you know, two, three weeks to try to bounce yeah. things off of him. So that's excellent. I think that's really solid. Um, and you may be, well, go ahead, sorry. What's one thing I was going to think too, you know, think about when you first started Goodson, right. And what was the activities? If you just think about the pivot point is just like the next new start of the existing business and, and kind of like lean into that mindset, you would probably yeah. do a lot of the same, which was risky. Some of the things you did in the beginning were risky compared to where you are now. And just think about the next stage. Now yep. you can protect yourself and mitigate some of the things through your own experience. Um, but still, yeah, I mean, of course you're talking to the wrong person. I'm like, put it all on black, brother. Like, spin <laughs> yeah. the wheel. Let it make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> go big or go home, right? Yeah. Go big or go home. Yeah, right? no, it's I no, it's excellent. I and and I think um you know, my, I think my, for me to get to the next level is not dissimilar from a lot of other companies and it's people focused. Sure. It's, it's me getting, you know, and I've seen this, I've seen other companies like this and even my brother-in-law's company, I think was like this to a point, one or two key people can make all the difference in terms of an yeah. inflection point for the business. And I think that's kind of where I'm at and what's, and, and I'll, in full disclosure, I, we're meeting with a guy next week. We've got some things going on where we've got some people that have started to come our way um, mm -hmm. that I'm excited about that could, that could change things quite a bit for us real yeah, quick awesome, man. before i forget have you ever read the book blue ocean strategy yeah in grad school okay i i just got done. i was our conversation i think just kind of brought that to mind and i i love it mm -hmm. I, I'm, i've read it i've listened to it i don't i haven't read it yeah. but and i'm going through it a second yeah. time i only listen to things yeah i don't i don't read yeah. very well um, i read at third grade level so Close out. I just want to talk about a little bit from your standpoint. I mean, we've talked a lot about entrepreneurship and a lot about mm -hmm. just starting companies and stuff. I want to talk a little bit about, as we close out, just your view on the brand for Amplify and how you're using us, mm -hmm. you know, to, to to communicate the brand for Amplify. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and really just, and, and, I, I know that's pretty narrow because we've only done a few things, but just in general, then maybe if you want to just talk about, you know, branding for startups, because I mean, it's hard in the beginning when you're doing things and you're not maybe got a lot of customers and stuff. So then it can be difficult. Like what does building brand look like? So, yeah, no, gotcha. And I think about, I'd like to answer this question in a couple different ways that I could, you know, first, I think that a branding also needs to be for the founder too, right? Because as we talked about earlier is you are the brand of a startup. Typically, you're either a solopreneur or you're a small team. And so your personal brand is what, because you said people invest in people, not products or ideas. You need to focus on your personal brand and what you're putting out there into the universe, right? I, I want to say like, yep. if you're listening to this, make sure that's something that's front of mind. Um, and then going to what we talked about before, which is branding for entrepreneurs that are mostly in my space, again, towards investors. So know your audience, know what they want. Now, how you guys have helped us specifically, Amplify doesn't have paying customers per se. We service the community. We try to get our brand out. You know, We work with someone, a mutual common uh, friend, LiveFire, who built our brand from scratch. And what we're really trying to resonate, if you look at our logo, is you know amplify sound, get the word out, get the message out, be out in the community have everyone hear us. And the way that we've done that and with work with Goodson has been great is some of the things, and I've actually just, I don't know if you saw, I had to order more, is using speakers, which is a perfect alignment to the Amplify brand yep. that that have the brand on there and have and the few people that we've already been able to give these out to just love it. And then also you built these phenomenal pop-up cards. And so it's kind of looking at 
what is something that's going to, when someone gets this, because in our space, there's a lot of noise. People give have a lot of giveaways from organizations like ours, t-shirts, pins. What is the unique gift that our kind of target market once. And I know you worked with Jen from LiveFire very closely yep. on this of like, here are some items that like your target market would really love to see, or we see from our other customers that they do. And then of course, with their design and branding skills, kind of you two put something amazing together and we're getting tons of really great feedback and people love them to the point I had to order more. Like people are yeah. like, well, where's my speaker? <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. And the, the pop-up cards, we actually just did a, a what we call partner series with the company we work with on those. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, to just drive home that point, Jen, and by the way, yeah. Jen has helped us with some things on, you know, Jen with LiveFire has helped us with some things with on Goodson's side, is, great. you know, what we've been talking a lot about with our customers is, you, you know, there's a lot of places you can get products. And, mm-hmm. you know, I hate to give them a plug, but for imprint branders, these are companies, if you just want products, you can go do that. Yeah. We, what we try to do is be, take more of a consultative approach and come in, understand the company mm-hmm. and then make sure that we're aligning, as you're alluding to aligning the products with the brand and ultimately the objectives. Yeah. What am I, what are the messages? What do I want people to know about our company? Um, we've been talking about these silos of, we say space, which is office space employees, customers, and events. And that's typically where people make yeah. use of the things that we do. And mm-hmm. we, we just see people light up when we start talking to them about that. When we just talk to them about products, they just kind of, they're just disinterested. But when we start talking about their strategic right. plans and those silos, you know, then they get excited and then they can start to see now, oh, wow, okay, I can see how this product is going to reinforce a particular message. And that's what we're driving towards. That's what we're trying to spend a lot of time. And I think what we're trying to do to differentiate Goodson from all the other places that you can get products. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say it, you know, you guys are customer centric, right? It's not just, you're not selling, not selling products and widgets. You're actually solving a problem for your customer. Um, and I love the consultative approach, you know, that comment, I think that's spot on. I mean, again, we've worked with you with Amplify, I worked with you in the Roth river. And I think every time you guys have kind of taken that approach. And I think if I remember, I even steered me clear of some things like, that's not going to be a good use of your dollars. So um, I know we're appreciative of that. I'm appreciative of you and our connection. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear all the good work that you guys have going on. I did. I have heard from Jen some of the amazing things that you're working on. So yep. kudos, man. You'll get to that $10 million. It's just, <laughs> yeah, we're working you know, at it's it. It's like, take the risk. That's right. Well, take hey, the man, risk, Landon, do it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It's been a great conversation yeah. and I look forward to staying connected, Larry. Thanks, man. Absolutely, Landon. Let me know what else I can do for you, and best of luck. All right, man. Talk to you soon. See you, buddy.